Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is the Prayer Room's Prophetic History, and uh, session three I've entitled Telling Our Story. And what we're going to do in this session that's uh, a little bit different, you know, there's, there's a lot of these sessions that kind of follow a similar pattern. This one's a bit different. Um, this one is way more history than prophetic. But I just felt like if we're going to tell all these prophetic testimonies of what we're expecting and all this, if we're going to, uh, and if we're going to be telling all these historical uh, prophetic moments that we had, I think it's helpful for us to have a framework of the 14 years and kind of like where we started and then what happened and then what happened and then what happened. And I promise it won't sound like a history lesson. It's story after story of what the Lord did and how he did it. So it's fun. This is a fun session. But this one doesn't really have so much of the, histor- uh, of the, the prophetic edge on it. It's a uh, storytelling. Um, but I, I uh, began a little bit last uh, session with how we started. Start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And that was the beginning. But I didn't tell you what happened next or what's been going on for 14 years. And that was 2005. So what I want to do today uh, in this session is I want to talk about 2005 to present day. And so it's t- 2020 right now. We've been about 14 and a half years of daily prayer meetings. And so, uh, you know, my, my hope here is as you hear about a ministry that's been staying steady in daily prayer for 14 plus years, I mean, just think of how, how many ministries do we know of that have stayed steady in daily anything for 10 years? Daily, anything. I mean, a, a daily soup kitchen for 10 years is a miracle of God. And they've been figuring out how to hand out food seven days a week, and they never missed a day. I mean, that's phenomenal. But there's just not that many things out there that are daily realities. And so I'm hoping that by tonight, by telling you about 14 years, you're going to see he's with us. And it's us. He's with us as a community that you're going to see some of his real purposes, that he's been sustaining this thing. You see, the TPR matters to Jesus. And I hope that in the process of this, it's a family identifying our assignment and then giving us strength to walk out our assignment. That's really my hope, is that we, we look at all the, you know, the grandfathers and great-grandfathers and grandmothers of, of, the, of the prayer room, if you will, those that were here five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that were helping build this, that were building on their shoulders uh, to see our assignment and keep on going. So uh, again, this session's going to be a little bit different, um, but I'm going to give you kind of the flow of how we're going to do things. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what was happening in each place, uh, because we've had... Uh, five different seasons, and arguably we're in a sixth season right now. But arguably, or, uh, we've had five seasons, and each of those seasons was connected to or centralized around a space, a building, a location. And so we actually have had five different locations, and each one of those locations had its own feel, had its own kind of season connected to it. And I want to tell you now, I want to be as transparent as possible, there were a lot of the seasons that was there was some overlap, like We started the next season that was going to carry over to the next building before we got to the next building. Or we moved into a building and the old season kind of uh, stayed around for a little while before the next season started. That happened some. So these aren't 
perfectly like we moved into a building and a new season began that moment. It wasn't like that, but it, it would be fair to say that each building had a season and each season had some very distinct specifics about it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what was happening in each place. I'm going to talk about some of the ministry advancements that were made in that season. Um, some of the ways that we grew or ungrew in that season, whatever the case might be. Um, some of the fun things that happened uh, in that building and some of the stories or themes uh, that, that were occurring in that uh, that kind of helped give us some of the character of what was going on in that uh, season of time for us. So this is fun. This one's like really near and dear to me because I was there for the whole thing. Like I saw all this stuff happen and unfold and all the players that were involved in each one of them. Uh, so anyway, okay, so we're going to start with the living room days. Whenever we talk about the living room days, we're talking about my living room. Um, you know, I told you guys a little bit, I had come off the mission field and I bought a house and this house was going to forever be a place of ministry. And so when the Lord said, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop till I come back, I knew exactly where to do that. The one place I had complete control over, my living room. And so that's where we started these prayer meetings. And uh, the living room days were it was new. It was exciting. It was, uh, it, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, it was so much fun to have no idea what we were doing and to be doing it so much. I, I mean, because you kind of fast track, figure some things out, even if it's not the right way, you figure out a way uh, to keep moving forward. And what's interesting to me now, especially in retrospect, we were wildly successful as a house of prayer in my living room. And so I just always tell people whenever they're talking about, you know, how do I build the house of prayer or whatever, I say, well, whatever you do, don't wait for a building. Just start your living room tomorrow. Because we did it. And so I saw that that was effective and that it worked and that you didn't need a space for it to be awesome. In fact, there, I think there are a lot of people that wait too long to get the right uh, situation and circumstances. And you don't need that. You can have the wrong circumstances. Just get started. But it's funny to me how, how wildly successful we were. Now, the stories I'm about to tell you I want you to kind of like connect the dots here about how B things were. Because we were a missions base run out of a living room. And we really were a missions base. I mean, we were really doing stuff and going for it. But it was all happening in a living room with people living at that house and like, you know, no official ministry filed with the government yet. I mean, we didn't, we, it took us some time to get into all that stuff. So very small beginnings, but I want you to, again, every time you, you hear a little story or a component, picture my living room or a living room if you don't know what my living room looks like. All right, our very first prayer meeting, I told you guys last week, had 11 people in it. 11 people crowded around in a living room, all singing and praying and, and banging on the counters and the walls, and uh, half of them are asleep on the floor, on the, you know, on the carpet. I mean, it was like, it was just, it was so messy and rowdy and Things were fun. They were pretty fiery, at least for the first few weeks, before we all realized this isn't going anywhere. You know, I'll just tell you something that's a little bit of a misnomer about fiery. It's impossible to be fiery 24-7 for decades. You can't sustain that. Fiery is like NOS in the, in, you know, in the gas tank, okay? It's like, man, that nitrous, nitrous oxide hits the, hits the you know, engine, and it's like... You just kind of take off, but you can't sustain that indefinitely. And so 
part of what, you know, is uh, important, just even speaking to a bunch of, you know, young, hungry, eager, you know, 20-year-olds, is you've got to find some balance of you cannot let go of that fire. But it's impossible to have level 10 fiery, you know, pursuit every day, all day, again tomorrow, without any breaks. You, you've, you've got to find some rhythms in life. We didn't really understand all that. Uh, we kind of had some crash course learning. Uh, but, uh, but things were pretty fun and fiery for those first few weeks until, again, it kind of reality hit in. When is this over? Oh, my goodness, this is never over. You know, you go to the conference, and it's really easy to go 100 miles an hour for the whole weekend. Because a weekend is a minute. It's really hard to go, you know, 100 miles an hour for a year, every day, every moment. We kind of figured that out a little bit. We quickly whittled down our fiery prayer meetings of 11 to 2 to 4. You know, 2, 3, 4 people, sometimes 5 in the prayer meetings. That became very normal routine in the living room for a prayer meeting. And so things stayed small for those years. We were in my living room for three years. Things stayed small. The prayer meetings were mostly two and three, four and five was a, was a good day. Mostly two and three people prayer meetings. That just was the normal every single day. And you just got to imagine I was one of the two every single time. So, I mean, there was only one other person or two other people most of the time. And that was what things looked like in these prayer meetings. That's that's how we did it for like three years. Now, I just had a fun little revelation today as I was kind of prepping for this. Because of those that have stick, stuck around, even some that have recently come back, we've actually got 11, 13 if you count uh, Jeremy and Cammy, who still stick their heads in around here sometimes, Jeremy and Cammy Jarvis, but 11 on the sacred trust right now from the living room days. We got 11 people that are around here that, are, that were there in those living room days that were the other person in the room or the other two people in the room. I mean, I just look at that. I'm like, man, these, these 11 are treasure troves of old funny stories and things I don't ever want told. Uh, man, it was just, those were some fun years. So just a fun little thing. If you're one of those 11, just know that I'm, I'm thinking about you right this moment. Um, all right, well, one of the things that we did because I started to realize when the Lord said start a daily prayer meeting, I knew it was a corporate prayer meeting. And I knew you can't have corporate unless you have actual people. It wasn't about me having like a devotional time with Jesus every day by myself. I knew it was supposed to be a corporate prayer meeting. Well, the problem is after we whittled down to two or three or four people in the room, I recognized very clearly this assignment that was given to a community of people was not being embraced by a community of people. It was being embraced by a very small number of that small community. And I kind of had a little bit of like a pastoral crisis because I knew that the assignment was corporate, but I knew that 5 a.m. was just too early for people to come to. But the Lord's the one that said 5 a.m. So I got a real problem here because I'm like, Lord, if you'd have said, you know, 7 a.m. or if you'd have said 7 p.m., I think we might be able to do this a little bit better. But you said 5 a.m., and I know we can't, like, change that. Like, we're stuck. we got to do 5 a.m. prayer meetings every day for the rest of ever. But I thought, I came into this kind of pastoral crisis. I was like, you know what? If we're going to actually embrace the assignment, we need to start a second daily prayer meeting at night. And so without the Lord saying, you're going to do this, I just kind of was reasoning with what I was understanding the assignment was. And I was like, if we started nightly prayer meetings in the same way we're doing morning prayer meetings, so instead of seven a week, 
14 a week, every morning, every night, every morning, every night, until the second coming. I just realized if we do that, we're going to be able to get more participation because people that have got jobs and go to school and this, they don't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to make it a 5 a.m. meeting. I understand that. Believe me. I realize we're going to get more people. So it wasn't but just a few months in, we started a second prayer meeting that we were committed to as violently as the early morning prayer meeting. So now we're doing 14 one-hour prayer meetings a week in the living room every week, Christmas week. You know, Thanksgiving week, New Year's week, every single week, we're doing 14 prayer meetings a, a, a week, every morning, every night. So we started a 7 p.m. prayer meeting, and that, it worked. I mean, to the degree that the size of the community was, and visitors started to come more in the evenings, and our community was embracing it more. And I told them all, look, I'm going to do this, and this is going to nearly kill me, so you all are going to actually start coming to these prayer meetings, or I'm going to come after you, okay? And they did. They started coming, and that really helped, and so it's it's interesting that the Lord is the one that set the plumb line at 5 a.m., but just a leader trying to do good set the plumb line for the night meetings, which actually wound up more stabilizing the community uh, because we, more people were able to uh, buy in. Okay, that season of time, so much learning. <laughs> I, was, I mean, every time we turned around, we were trying something new. We were learning. We didn't know how to pray. We were learning to pray. You know, if you... If you, like, get thrown into a sport you never played before, you know, it's like, man, I, I've never been much on badminton. You throw me right into a badminton game and you say, hey, congratulations, you're going to play badminton for the rest of your life. You kind of figure out how to play badminton. You're researching on badminton, watching YouTube videos on badminton, you know. Well, that was where we were at. We're trying to figure out what is a house of prayer? What are we doing? 14 prayer meetings a week. We learned the theology of night and day prayer in that season. We, I remember seeing it in the Bible for the first time. And going, oh my gosh, this is Bible. This isn't just us having a good idea. This is biblical. We were learning structure and we were coming up with our own structure because any structures we'd ever heard of before or that we could go research, they were modeled after something way bigger than what we were doing. So we had to invent structure for two, three, and four person prayer meetings 14 times a week in a living room with no sound system. And that's what we were doing. We learned so much about faithfulness. We learned about facing opposition opposition in our own souls, our own fleshliness. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to that meeting. I don't want to go again tomorrow night. I don't want to fill in for you. I don't. We learned about opposition from our family. I can't believe you're going to not be at the dinner, that you're going to be at that prayer meeting, that worthless prayer meeting over at that friend of yours house. It doesn't make any sense. That's dumb. That's not real. Be at the family dinner. We learned a lot about these things. It was this was an intense season of learning, and there was a lot of ache in it. I mean, really, a lot of ache. In this season, we also started to pray the apostolic prayers. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for the apostolic prayers. That, like, helped us so much because it gave us, we were kind of flirting with them a little bit. It wasn't like you have to pray these every time, but we started to read and see them in the Word and pray them, and when we pray them, we kind of feel something on them, and it felt a lot more anointed than when we just say stuff. You know, we started to learn the apostolic prayers a year or more in to the prayer meetings. We added the concept of the sacred trust. For those of you who don't know what that is, it just means a commitment to a specific prayer meeting every week or two or 10 or however many you want to do. So instead of I go to prayer meetings, I go to Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. every week. I'm going to be at the Tuesday morning 5 a.m. set every week. We added that concept. Oh my gosh, how stabilizing that was. You know, I just want to say one of the miracles in this process I mean, I, I believe this number. And in fact, three might even be too many. It really might have been only twice. 
was it just me in the prayer meeting? It's a miracle that that only happened twice or three times. It didn't happen 10 times, is my point. It's a miracle that that's the case. Because I remember how, I remember the couple of times that it happened, I was like, I don't even mind this because this never happens. Like, it was so rare. And again, I was at all 14 prayer meetings. Every morning, every night, I'd go to work, I'd get home. As soon as I'd walk in the door, it'd be about 10 minutes later, a prayer meeting would start. You know, that's just kind of how it would work, you know, for, for three years. Well, we added a simple prayer model in that season of time with worship CDs. You might want to get ready. Uh, worship CDs. Uh, and uh, we would just, we would have, we had 14 prayer meetings, so we had 14 worship CDs. And that was really just so that it wouldn't be the same songs over and over more than it was already going to be the same songs over and over. So we had the prayer leaders each, because we introduced prayer leaders in that time period and a prayer model. And the prayer model didn't look anything like our current one. But we had a worship CD that was the Monday morning worship CD, and then a worship CD that was the Monday night worship CD, and one for the Tuesday morning. And the prayer leader would put it in, and then what we would do is we'd just turn the volume up or down on the worship CD when we were going to pray, when we were going to like intercede. And that was our harp and bowl. That was our motto, if you will. And I mean, it just, it was so funny just how, how the Lord used it, uh, things in that season one of the things that we did that wound up becoming so helpful when we put prayer leaders into place, because up until that point, I was the prayer leader 14 times a week. Every morning, every night, I was the prayer leader. So I kind of had to like keep things going. That was burdensome. We, that was probably for like a year or close to it. I'm dumb and dance. It takes me a minute sometimes. But we started to put people into place and that was when we put into place the sacred trust because now we're saying, hey, be the prayer leader on Tuesday morning. Be the prayer leader on Wednesday night. And uh, what we did was, we attached a chip clip to the wall. You guys can imagine, you know, one of those big chip clips. It's about this long. It looks kind of like the, the top of a clipboard, you know, but it's a standalone. And you put it on a bag of chips to clip it. We, we nailed one of those to the wall in my living room. And then what we would do is we, would, we created these posters. And every poster, <clears throat> one poster was the Monday poster. And Monday morning was on the front and Monday night was on the back. And then we created a Tuesday and a Wednesday. So we had seven of these posters and each poster was pretty good size and had 10 different prayer topics under the prayer theme for that prayer meeting. And we told the prayer leaders, hey, pick three. Pick three that are on the prayer uh, list for that week. And then next week, pick three different ones. Or if you like one of them, stick with it and do two different ones. But it was a way for them to visualize, and they would be able to say to the room, okay, guys, now we're going to pray for number three on the list. And it was this big poster right up on the wall. So I brought the poster. You guys want to see the poster? Yeah, I brought the poster. Okay, all right. Wait, so here, here's the poster, all right? So here's Monday a.m., all right? Here's Monday, well, this way, Monday a.m., all right? And then Monday p.m., okay? And so Monday a.m. was revival and citywide transformation. And then Monday night, we'd pray for political issues, our government, and justice in society. And so then the prayer leader would pick three of the ten things that are on here. And then we had ten on the other side. So we had seven of these that we put up on the wall. Go ahead and put up the side so that people can see it. Uh, if they can't see the, uh, the picture I just held up or whatever. Um, so, so we had these slides or these uh, um, uh, posters because we didn't have slides. We didn't have you know, a projector. It was my living room. We just had to figure out a way to make it work. But that was, it worked. It was effective. And I would just say to any house of prayer out there, that's a great way to do it if you don't have anything else that you can use. Well, <clears throat> fun stories in this season of time. So it's my house. We're doing prayer meetings every morning early. Sometimes I would walk into my living room at 4.45 in the morning and there'd be people asleep on my couch that weren't there the night before when I went to bed. 
And they, they, they slept the night because they, like, didn't want to get up early and go to prayer. So they're just, like, out late or whatever. They just come over and crash on my couch. I wake up, and I'm like, and we had to figure out, okay, listen, we can't have guys and girls, you know, we just crashing in the living room. We had to make some rules and come up with some plans. And, but it was just bizarre to see. And sometimes I'd wake up, there'd be two or three guys on the couches. You know, it was just kind of funny. Um, I would bang on the counters in my, in my kitchen as like a sound, as an instrument. It would rattle the uh, toaster oven. That was one of my favorite instruments was to rattle the toaster oven, you know, in kind of, you know, with the beat or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, We'd make up our own instruments. There were no rules. I mean, it was just, it was living room days. You know, you, whatever goes. Uh, randomly, okay, wait, this is just so fun and dates us big time. This was pre-Facebook. There was this little thing called MySpace, all right? The prayer room had a MySpace page. It might still be out there. This was before we had a, before we even knew what our name was going to be. We just called it His Altar. And so I made a, I made a MySpace page called His Altar, and if MySpace still is out there somewhere in the interwebs, you can find his altar and go see the corny little, you know, logo or whatever we had. This was pre our, our real name or whatever. Okay, but here's the thing. So we're out there, you know, in, in the internet world, okay, so people can find us. And so people would find us on MySpace and randomly show up at my house at 4.45 or 5 o'clock in the morning for the prayer meeting because they realized there was a prayer meeting. So we would actually have visitors. I don't mean 10 a day, but I mean one every other week. <laughs> we would have visitors, first of visitors show up to my living room at 5 a.m. to pray with one, two, five of us, you know? It was just bizarre. Okay, here's a really funny thing. A couple months ago, there was a dude sitting in that chair right there, and I was like, why do you see he looks so familiar? It was one of the guys that came during the, the MySpace era. I mean, he showed up at the living room. I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? And he was like, hey, I used to come around the living room. I was like, well, you sure did, dude. And so anyway, just kind of funny. Uh, we had a guy in the community. We were all learning to fast. We were going through the Sermon on the Mount. We were learning uh, end times. We had this guy in our community who fasted every other day for a year. Every other day for a year. And then the second year, he decided he was going to fast two days and eat one day. And so he gets, I don't know how far into that year before he develops the worst case of jaundice ever and has to stop like he was in the worst phase. He was so yellow looking. Just, these were just funny things. Okay, people would fall asleep in the prayer meetings, and it's my living room. So we had couches. We'd throw the throw pillows at the people that fell asleep to wake them up. That's how we woke them up. we just throw a pillow at them. Um, we had, I mean, two people. Okay, this is just to kind of show how diehard we were. We had two people who were assigned as the you two are going to miss Brad and Amy's wedding. You two are the ones that are going to hold down the fire on the altar back at Brad's living room while the rest of the community is at Brad and Amy's wedding. So Amy and I got married in the midst of all this at about year two, somewhere in there. And two people didn't come to our wedding. They were back in my living room, which became Amy and Mai's living room right after the end of their prayer meeting. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were, you know, they did the prayer meeting in the living room. And so just that's like, that was what that season was. Um, the real miracles were that we actually started that prayer meeting with no notice. And then it's sustained for 14 years. And that's just so remarkable to me. It's a miracle. You just, you can't do that. It's incredible. It was also during that season of time that the Lord told me, just started speaking to me about the importance of leadership. And I just felt like overwhelmed. I was like, Lord, leadership. <clears throat> I was the old guy at 26. And I was like, leadership, man, Lord, these, 
these are a bunch of 20-year-olds that don't know what they're doing. They've never let anything in their life. Like, we're still trying to work out some stuff in them. And I felt like the Lord gave me this really clear, interesting word. Uh, immature, inexperienced leadership is better than no leadership at all. I was like, well, amen, I can work with that. And so we put together what we called elders in that day. And we put together an elder team that was leading the prayer room mission space. All, you know, nine of us or whatever, all 12 of us, whatever the number was. Uh, we put that into place. And that actually was the foundation of our current staff, of our current missionary requirements, of our current uh, uh, senior staff. I mean, so many things are all traced back to that that started in my living room with some 20-year-olds. Uh, we also started the weekly encounter service. So this thing that we're doing right now, it started in the living room. And actually, there's about as many people in the room right now as there were back in the day uh, in the living room. So here's this funny thing. I can remember uh, somebody in our community was given some money by a family member. Uh, we were going to go up to IHOP Kansas City. And, uh, and the family member gave this person some money and said, hey, buy something, uh, you know, for, for the community. Buy something that's important, you know, for you guys, some resource or something while you're up at IHOP Kansas City. And they didn't tell me that. But while we're up there, I hear about this thing called the Omega Course. And IHOP Kansas City had just started this, uh, I think it was an eight-week, or maybe it was a ten-week uh, uh, DVD series, teaching series, on the end times. It's kind of like an intro to the end times kind of a thing. And it was a DVD series. Well, I heard them talking about it, and I thought, we have got to buy that. It's important. We need that. We'd never done an encounter service before. We'd never done a teaching uh, kind of like this before. And I was like, we need that. And so I went uh, into the bookstore, and I was going to try to figure out a way to buy it or at least find out how much it was. It was like $150. I was like, dang. Well, I get there, and the guy is standing over it going, hey, I'm thinking about getting this. And I go, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, you know, my mom gave me some money and said I needed to buy something for the community. Do you think this would be valuable? I go, this is the exact same thing I came into the bookstore right now to buy. We've got to do it. He said, okay, well, let's buy it. So we bought it right there. We spent $150 on the Omega course. That got us started on everything. What we started doing was we'd meet on, on Saturday nights for the encounter service. And we didn't call it encounter service at that point. We just called it the Omega course. And we've got the projector going, and there's a group of maybe 20 of us, 15, 20 of us. And every Saturday night, we're watching the video, and I would have watched it ahead of time so that I kind of had at least a little bit of an edge. And uh, we'd pause it at certain points, and we'd talk about it. Then we'd get to the end, and I'd talk about some more things, and we'd break up and pray. And it was awesome. Well, at the end of that, there was such a hunger to keep studying eschatology and times. We decided, you know what, we're going to keep going. We'll just start studying the book of Revelation and studying end time stuff. And so we kept that going. The encounter service that we have right now started in my living room. I would preach behind a chair. I'd turn the chair around and I'd use the back of the chair as my pulpit. And I'd put the Bible on there and I had a whiteboard up on the wall and I'd preach from that. And that was our encounter service. It's, I know it sounds bizarre, but that's where we came from. I mean, these are, I'm, I'm telling you bizarre things so that you can to be thankful for what we have and, and that we don't have what we had. Um, another bizarre moment of this. We're in the living room, 14 prayer meetings a week, and encounter service on Saturday nights. And I felt the Lord tell me it was time to raise full-time support and be the full-time director and, and quit my job. I was making good money working in real estate. <clears throat> I wasn't a, a realtor, but I was working at a real estate firm and helping in a lot of different ways. I was making good money. And I felt the Lord tell me it's time to stop making good money and time to raise support, become a missionary. I am the first missionary to raise support. We don't even have a building. We have my living room. 
I'm going to support raising conversations, and I'm saying, oh, please give me money. We didn't have any support raising process. There was no forerunner partnership development. None of that existed. I'm just trying to raise support, and I'm raising support to be the full-time director of this prayer room that's in my living room. It looked so joking. I mean, it looked, it looked like such a joke. Another miracle. I raised full-time support as an intercessory missionary, and I paved the way for then others to be able to do it later. It's just, it's crazy the way that the Lord did that. It was also during that season of time that we came up with the name, The Prayer Room. And we came up with a logo, which is a, a variant, early kind of uh, archaic variant of what, our, uh, what we currently have. <clears throat> but we came up with the name, The Prayer Room, because at that point, there were these other houses of prayer that I told you about that were starting all over the city. And there were a bunch of them that were kind of all... Uh, uh, kindly fighting for the title, the Dallas House of Prayer. And we were like, you know what? We don't want to get in that fight. Let's just go as far away from that as possible. We didn't want to go with the Arlington House of Prayer. We were like, let's just call it the prayer room. That's about as vanilla as it gets. Nobody's going to fight for that. If another House of Prayer starts in Arlington, we won't have to fight. We were just like, let's just call it the prayer room. So we called it the prayer room. And it stuck or took or stuck or whatever. And we came up with a logo. We decided we were going to do a 30-day corporate fast. This was our, our first corporate fast where we called it. It wasn't like, hey, we're fasting. Do it if you want to. Don't do it if you don't. We called it and we said, hey, everybody fast. But we didn't tell everybody how. We just said, you do whatever you want to do, so long as it's some version of not eating, because that's what fasting is. And we said, hey, just do what you want. Well, there were a ton of people that did it on just liquids or just juice. This, this was their first fast. and It was, the, it was a 30-day fast, a month-long fast of a bunch of 20-year-olds. It was glorious. It was awesome. Well, here's what's great about it. On the 21st day I felt like the Lord gave me a download of a lot of different things. One, I felt like he was like, this is now outgrowing your living room. You need a, a space. <clears throat> you can't be in your living room forever. <clears throat> and second, <clears throat> on the 21st day of this fast, I felt like he said, do a giving campaign. And we'll talk more about the details of that giving campaign in a future session, but just know this, it was the Lord and it worked, and it was awesome. And it came on the 21st day of this fast, do a giving campaign. We were going to start this giving campaign. It was going to last for a while. That's how we wound up getting into the second space, which now brings us to the Livermore days. All right? <clears throat> we buy this house, and it was a four-bedroom house <clears throat> with like a one little room upstairs kind of a thing. <clears throat> and this house was interesting before we bought it. But after we bought it, oh my goodness, did we double down on interesting. In this season of time, I really felt like the Lord gave us the, uh, the language, a, pro a prophetic word for the season, brick by brick. And it was a season to build the house of prayer brick by brick. And what that meant to me was we were going <clears> to <throat> work on something, establish it, kind of put it on the wall, if you will. And as soon as we did that, put some more mortar on top of it and get ready for the next brick to come. Let's just keep building. It's, it was a building season and, and you don't build a house, you know, any other way. If, if it's brick, you got to build it one brick at a time. So it takes some time, but you see progress if you just keep going. And I really felt like that's what the Lord was saying to us. Well, this house, oh my gosh, we knocked down all the walls. Imagine a four bedroom house and we knocked down all the walls and put some posts up so the roof wouldn't collapse on itself. And in that, what we did there was all, where all the bedrooms were, we created one big room that was now our prayer room, okay? And then we had uh, <clears throat> two little bathrooms off to the side, one that was formerly the hallway bathroom and one that was formerly the master bedroom bathroom. We had those off to the side, and then uh, 
And then we had a little lobby. The lobby was the living room. And what's really funny is there's some furniture that's out in the lobby here that was actually in the lobby of, our, uh, of this house over at the Livermore house. And so we did the best we could to soundproof it and just, you know, do our best. Uh, we even had a couple of people living actually at the house in the bedroom upstairs to help pay the rent. And it was so funny to have Levites living in the house physically. It was kind of a fun little moment. Well, we moved into the Livermore house, called the Livermore house because it was, uh, I think it was 5318 Livermore. It was, the address was on Livermore Drive. And so uh, the, we moved in on our third year birthday. So we started on September 13, 2005, our first day to move in after the build campaign and then some remodel and blah, blah, blah. We were able to start prayer meetings on our third year birthday, September 13th, 2008. Okay, so that was our first day in this uh, living room. And what we did was we decided, let's go ahead and kick off with, let's just go nuts. Let's go crazy. Let's kick off with a 24-hour prayer meeting. So we're going to start our first set, and we're going to have it go for 24 hours. We're, I invite people and ask people to come and, and help us. Uh, we had an anniversary celebration at the encounter service. We had Ryan Kondo, who uh, was uh, a worship leader up at IHOP Kansas City, but was not really known at that point. Nobody ever heard of Ryan Kondo. Uh, he came down and led the first set, led the encounter service, kind of got things started for us. Um, people came uh, from, from all over to help us with this event. And uh, just another fun little uh, moment, there's a, there's a worship leader up at Kansas City uh, right now. Her name's uh, uh, Gabby Malone. Well, in that hour, uh, it was uh, Gabby Elliott, and she did her very first worship set that she ever led in front of people at our prayer meeting at the 24-hour open in the middle of the night. It was like 2 or 3 a.m. I Actually, it was funny. I got to have this conversation with her just a couple months ago. I didn't realize that was the first prayer meeting she'd ever led, first worship set she'd ever led. And, uh, but I do remember walking in, in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, I walked up, or went up to the prayer room, I walked in, I heard this girl singing, I was like, who on earth is that girl? And so, I mean, her voice was just amazing, and I was like, I just remember her singing, draw me away, as I walked in the room, I was like, okay, it's working, I'm drawn away. And I mean, it's just, just a fun little moment there, I just, I loved that. Well, we also started nearly immediately after, we built a relationship with Tom Grossman and the Grossman clan. And we uh, started uh, kind of the, our first internship. It wasn't ours. It was actually his internship with our people, but he was training us in the harp and bowl and, and the theology of the priesthood. And it was invaluable. It was a sweet, sweet thing. And it was so funny because I look back now and it was the Krajewski's who taught us the harp and bowl model and the Krajewskis are now part of this ministry and plugged in. And, and their kids who, who were zero or one or two are now part of the ministry. It's just so fun. It's like, and now they're a part of this. But they taught us the harp and bowl model during that internship because the Krajewskis are uh, Tom's uh, uh, daughter and son-in-law. And so, I mean, it's family. And so Tom did this internship and taught us. And we, the whole uh, community went through the internship. And that kind of got us, you know, learning about, you know, all things House of Prayer. It was a glorious time. We had 25-plus people involved uh, in those training nights and doing that. Prayer meeting upgrades in that season. Now, this is a big upgrade. This might be the most ambitious upgrade we've ever done, okay? We were doing 14 one-hour prayer meetings a week with a worship CD in my living room. When we moved into the Livermore house, we made three upgrades. First upgrade, all prayer meetings are now two hours long, not one hour long. So we went from 14 hours a week to whatever, what, 28 hours a week. Oh, no, we didn't. 
We also added another prayer meeting in the middle of the day. So now we've got 21 two-hour prayer meetings a week. So we're actually at 42 hours a week. We went from 14 to 42 in a day. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Also, we're going to add this harp and bowl model thing. Everybody's an approved singer, including Brad. And so, oh, man, I loved it. I would rap. I would just, I would go. I'd just say stuff. I had so much fun before they kicked me off all the teams. And uh, I mean, it was awesome. And so we added a model, we added two hour meetings, and we added a third set. So now three times a day, morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night, if you will, we were having prayer meetings at that house. Well, it's at a house. So one of the things that we needed in order to not be the worst neighbors ever, because you know, houses are in residential neighborhoods where there are other houses next door. We could not have people parking up and down the street all day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's just mean. So what we did was we scraped together some money. I think we did it for like 2,500 bucks. Me and Luke Cooper drove out to Garland or Rowlett or somewhere out there, and we bought a, a Toyota Privia minivan that was old. It was falling apart and old. We needed a shuttle van. So we bought this thing, and it kind of clunk, 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 got it back to Arlington. And now what we did was there was an abandoned parking lot about half a mile down the road from, our, uh, from the missions base, the real live missions base inside this house. And we were driving the shuttle van every prayer meeting, 21 prayer meetings a week, back and forth to this parking lot. So we'd show up there a few minutes before the prayer meeting, and then we'd be running shuttle service back and forth. And I mean, it was a wonder anybody over 30 ever came back. I mean, this van, just imagine this, okay, especially the 5 a.m. set, all right? You don't know us, and we're a weird group to start with. You don't know us. You show up here at 5 a.m. in the morning, and this clanky minivan shows up, and somebody's wearing a $1 yellow Usher vest, driving it, rolls down the, the window, and goes, get in the van. I mean... Oh my gosh, this is, we did this for two, two years. I mean, two and a half years. <clears throat> Every day, 21 times a week. Okay, so one time, this van was so old, it had so many issues. One time, uh, Jerry Jarvis is opening the minivan door, and it kind of gets stuck, okay? You know, the slider door to get people in and out? It gets stuck. So Jeremy decides his solution is he's going to kick the door, because he'd seen somebody else do that before who knew what they were doing. And Jeremy kicks the door. He kicks the door off into the parking lot. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now there's a door, a premium minivan door in the parking lot. And it's like, oh, hi, visitor. Um, let's just put that in the back. Come on in. Don't mind the draft. So, I mean, it was just, it was bizarre. This is what life was like. I'm telling you, it's a bunch of 20-year-olds. We did not know what we were doing. I mean, it's a wonder that, like, the thing didn't get burned down or, you know, like, you know, that we didn't get evicted. I mean, there's so many funny moments in there. Oh, my gosh. I just remember Sean Way and Computers and Bernie singing. It hurt my ears. It hurt my ears so bad because we hadn't yet started kicking people off. We were a young community with lots of prophetic people in it. We didn't have all the prophetic uh, protocols and etiquettes fig figured out. So there were all kinds of, like, things like, oh, dude, don't ever say that again. So many little moments our neighbor was accusing us of all kinds of weird stuff. He could have accused us about 10 things accurately. He didn't accuse us about any of those things. He accused us about the most bizarre, weird things ever. But this was like a daily reality we had to deal with. I mean, it, just, it, was, a, it was a weird season. But in that season, we grew. We had our first place 
It was ours. People would be there in the middle of the day because we had a missions base. So people would come and show up and be there. Uh, we started holding community events. I told you about the 24-hour event, but we held other community events. That's when we got Castlin. That's when we got the Hudnalls and Ben Harris. They all started coming around back in those Livermore days. <clears throat> people, would, they, they'd come and they'd, they'd come to our encounter services. The encounter services were more real because we had a little space and a sound system. We started recording the messages and, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. We started adding full-time staff. We grew to five intercessory missionaries in that season. I mean, five... Just a couple of months ago, we only had six around here. We had five at a little house over in 76017. I mean, it's like we had five missionaries that were doing this as their job. It was real. It was real. Happening in a little janky house, it was real and it was sweet. We began, started doing trainings, TPR branded internships. We started our own internships, regular workshops. We held our first conference. We were going through the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit was visiting us. There was a season where the sweetness of the Spirit was resting in a lot of the prayer meetings. I mean thick, like you can't get up off the floor thick. There were so many debrief meetings. I'd walk back. A debrief room, by the way, was one of the only bedroom that we didn't like mess with, okay? It was this little bedroom, really small. That was our debrief meeting room slash internship training room slash everything else room. I don't know how many of those, in, uh, those debrief meetings. Oh, 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 every set, with rare exception, was a full team. A small team, but a full team, 21 times a week. We had small teams 21 times a week. I mean, we only maybe had one or two, three devos the whole week. Everything else was a small team. So there were real briefings and debriefings going on. I don't know how many of those debriefing meetings I'd walk by, and I would just hear them in there giggling and laughing, rolling around on the floor. Holy Spirit's just touching them. And it's like, this isn't a debrief. This is like a drunk fest. Like, y'all are, are rolling around on the floor. What is going on? And if I'd go in there for too long, it hit me, so I wouldn't. I'd just leave, and I'd try to go get some admin done someplace else. I mean, it was, it was a sweet season. It was wild. The, the awakening was happening up at IHOP Kansas City, and that was touching our community in a very real way. Well, I won't give you the details of how we went from that to Pioneer Parkway, but I want to move on. We wound up at 939 West Pioneer Parkway. It's one of the most busy intersections in Arlington, and we wound up getting a lease space right there because we outgrew that house. We were there for about two and a half years, and the Lord gave us prophetic words and other stuff that I won't, won't go into. It was time to get into another space. Well, I got to tell you, of all the different <clears throat> remodels we've done, the remodel for 939 West Pioneer Parkway was my favorite. One, it happened fast because the Lord did the most miraculous version of a remodel. I blame him more than our hard work. We worked our tails off, but he was giving us favor in ways that are impossible. We remodeled this space. It was like, it was uh, 6,000 square feet. We remodeled 6,000 square feet in like four and a half weeks. It was unbelievable. It was impossible. And we had to because we were about to have a conference and the Lord made it clear the paint on the, the walls is going to be drying in this new space when you host the first session of the conference. And it did. I mean, the paint was literally drying on the walls. It was just crazy. Anyway, I loved that space, but man, it was funny. In that season, everything worked. It was growth like crazy. I mean, it, everything worked like we would try something and not know if it was a good idea or a bad idea. And I'm sure half of them were horrible ideas and the Lord would bless it anyway and it would grow and it'd be awesome and people would love it. I mean, to the point where I started to kind of test the waters a little bit. I was over the promotions department and I was like, I'm gonna kind of just test the waters. 
I'm going to promote one of our prayer meetings and call it an event. I'm not going to do anything different. We're just going to do the prayer meeting. But I'm going to call it an event, just see what happens. Like 30 people showed up for the event, the prayer meeting. I just put out an e-flyer that was, hey, we're going to do this thing. We're going to be praying for whatever it was. All these people showed up. Everything we touched was turning to gold. It was a sweet, sweet season. Again, located in this busy intersection. So lots of, you know, uh, publicity there or people could see us. Um, We had new visitors nearly every day. That was a season. That was the first time that we were no longer like, obscure. People knew, people started to recognize, you know, the prayer room, what that was. Uh, We regularly would have 80 people at the encounter services. That was a normal encounter service. 80, sometimes it'd be 100, sometimes 75, but I mean, it was normal. It was growing. Uh, We were beginning to work out how we could expand. I mean, things were like growing so much. We're trying to figure out, hey, do we need to rent the space next door too, or go get a different space? Because things were growing so much. Um, It was becoming normal in that season to have 20 people in a Forerunner Equipping Center program. We were doing uh, uh, the Forerunner School of Ministry classes. We were doing internships. We did a school, the prophetic. We did uh, our version of FMA back in the day. And it was kind of normal to have 20 or more people doing the program. It was fun. It was a season of growth. Everything we would start or touch or make up, God would bless it. It was so fun. Growth, 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 up, up, up. The Sacred Trust was growing. We grew from about 35 people on Sacred Trust when we moved into that building to 99. I mean, we was just, do, 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 do. we were growing and expanding. It was so much fun. It was awesome. Just some funny stories from that season of time. Because I don't just want to tell you what happened in ministry. I want to give you kind of a feel. This is 6,000 square feet, and there's not that many of us. It's kind of big. It's all on one level. It's all spaced out. And so it just kind of, it had a really weird feel. It was an old dance studio before we got it. Uh, an old dance studio with a, a warehouse attached to it. It was just a bizarre kind of setup. We did our best with it. And uh, every year in the fall, there was a cricket plague. This was the worst thing ever. I mean, when I read, you know, in Genesis, I'm sorry, Exodus, about the, the locust plague and all that stuff, man, I feel it. I understand Every fall, here's what would happen. I don't know why. I just know exactly what would happen every single year without fail. The weather would start to, you know, get just a little bit warmer or, or uh, let's see, what, fall, spring? Cold. The weather would start to cool off a little bit from the summer months, okay? And when that would happen, one bajillion, calculated number, crickets would come from Cooper Street across the parking lot at about 6.35, 6.35 in the morning. Now, I'm there for the 5 to 7 morning meeting every morning. I'm the usher on most sets, and here's what would happen. If you didn't stand out there with the push broom, you would lose the battle very quickly, and one million crickets would infest the building every single day. So I would stand out there at 6.30. Now listen, guys, I'm telling you, this sounds so bizarre. It sounds so apocalyptic, like something out of a movie. I will never forget this scene because I experienced it firsthand a hundred times. I'm standing in the parking lot with the push broom, and all of a sudden in the horizon, the pavement, which is a gray color, all starts turning black and is moving like a wave coming towards me. And I would brace myself, man of God, you can do this. You can do this. Rise up. Be courageous, man of God. And I would start sweeping these things like crazy. You're not going to get me, suckers. 
And I would be out there sweeping these things because if you didn't, they would find the little cracks under the door. And they would all come in. And they would come in and they would die. And their flesh would rot. And it would make the base smell so bad. So here's the other thing. After the cricket plague. And this would go on for about three weeks. Okay? In the midst of the cricket plague, then came the crows and the crackles. Because they're hungry and they know where the food supply is. So now the parking lot is filled with swarms of birds. And then the cats came. And then the dogs. And, and the, well, maybe not all that. But, but the birds would come. And it just it would smell so bad. We had a backpack vac. One of those Ghostbuster vacuum cleaners. You know? And we would suck up all the dead crickets. And the dead crickets would rot in there. And then you'd turn it on. And the, it's got a vent that's like venting out air. And the dead flesh carcass cricket car would fill the room. Our base smelt so bad. The bathroom in this place, you could actually see at a certain walk-by point straight into the men's room and see who was pooping. Because you'd see their feet down underneath the stall. So you'd walk past and it's like, it was such an architectural like, you know, blunder, because you could walk by and be like, oh, so-and-so's in the bathroom. I know their shoes. I see those Nikes. There's just such a bizarre time. So it's like, we were kind of legit, but we were kind of not legit. It was just, it was such a funny season. Okay, I got to move on. In this period of time, we had met Dwayne Roberts, uh, uh, who was up at IOP Kansas City, and he let us host a One Thing Regional Conference. This would have been our first one. We're a small ministry. We're hosting this conference. It was the conference I was telling you about that we were going to host the, while we were moving into the building kind of thing. 2,100 people came to that conference. And during that conference, Dwayne got me up there and, well, wound up not even being Dwayne at that point, but got me up there and, and promoted the heck out of the prayer room, the 2,100 people. And was like, you guys, you got to go get involved in this. It's awesome. We saw lives transformed. That's where John Stokes got his, gave his life to Jesus in that prayer room. We'd see people get healed. We'd see people get prophetic words all the time, saved, delivered to stuff. I mean, it was a, I don't mean every day, but every week, every week, there was stuff happening in that room where there was just sweet little moments. The sacred trust grew, like I told you. We gained real regional participation in that season. People started coming from all over the place. <clears throat> well, towards the end of that period of time, we had a three-year lease on that building, Towards the end of that period of time, the Lord told me, I'm about to bring you through a season of pruning, and things are going to get very difficult. And that's like the least favorite word maybe I've ever gotten, was you can count on how bad your life's about to be. Smile big. And man, it was a true word. I told our leadership team, and then, I mean, just a week or two later, things started happening, and we started to experience significant pruning. Significant. Remember I told you we were at 99 on Sacred Trust? It went all the way down to 68. I mean, it was pruning, pruning, pruning. And we had built an infrastructure that was relying on 90 people plus in the prayer room or on the base. And now we're down to 68 and we're not, it's aching. It feels terrible. In the midst of that, the Lord says, you're done at this space. If you stayed here, things would be too good. You'd be too strong. I need you guys weak and pruned, so you're done at this space. It's right in the middle of Arlington. There's too much going for you here. I'm bringing you into pruning. I'm going to bring you into hiddenness. And so we knew we were supposed to move out. Well, in that period of time, Pastor Tom Schleter of Prince of Peace Church over in Arlington gave us the most incredible, kind invitation for us to move our prayer room into the sanctuary of this local church. And 
I was so appreciative of that, but there was a lot about that that wasn't our normal, wasn't our DNA, wasn't the way we would normally do things. And so I was reluctant, but at the same time, the Lord made it so clear, like the day that like, or the week that we decided we're going to move out of the missions base, but we don't know where we're going to go yet. Because the Lord had given us the word, you're done here. Our whole leadership team, I just was so mad at that team. I was so mad at them that they agreed with me. I never had wanted them to be uh, fighting me more than the day I was like, guys, I think we're supposed to move out of here and that we're, we're supposed to be in pruning for a while. I really wanted for them to go, no, bro, that's not the Lord. We need to stay. All of them were like, I think that's the Lord. So we knew we were supposed to move out, but we didn't know where we were going to go. And our lease was up in three weeks or two. I was at a pastor's prayer meeting just a day or two later. <clears throat> and Pastor Tom Schluter comes up to me. And without him knowing anything about our circumstances, he said, Brad, just a thought occurred to me. If you guys at the prayer room ever needed a place to be, like if you ever weren't going to be at that space anymore because he knew where we were, you guys could move into our sanctuary. It'd be fine. We'll cut you like a great deal. And I just shook my head. And I was like, we didn't know where we were going to be. And this is exactly it. Well, the reason that that was such an interesting uh, move for us is because the Lord had warned us difficulty is going to last for a while. Again, it started while we were still at Pioneer Parkway, but it highlighted, went to its tip top as we moved over to Prince of Peace. Well, Prince of Peace was very different than what we were experiencing at Pioneer Parkway location. Our sacred trust shrunk significantly. Our Saturday night encounter service was cut in half. We experienced spiritual warfare at a level we'd never seen before. People were moving on for various reasons. Some good reasons, some not so good. There was confusion and frustration. Uh, a dozen plus worship leaders all got carpal tunnel, car, carpal tunnel or tendinitis the same short period of time. A dozen. So I've got a dozen Tyrannosaurus Rex worship leaders and we've got uh, 16 hours a day or 14 hours a day of live worship and people are leading these worship sets and they've got carpal tunnel and they're not leading worship sets which means the ones that didn't have it are getting it a lot faster because they're doing a lot of extra sets we had 13 or 14 people with carpal I was unbelievable we never seen anything like that before in our lives like we've only got 20 how in the world do 11 13 whatever how did all of you all have this it was crazy some of our families went through horrible sickness, even diseases, loss. We had to cancel conferences because no one would sign up. We'd do a conference. All the stuff that used to work, we'd try it. It would be laughable. It was like the angels and Jesus himself were just shaking their head like, no, guys, just, that's real sweet, but no, it's, it's, you're done with that. Morale was pretty low, and the prayer meetings were not exciting anymore. Unlike Pioneer Parkway, this location was tucked away. It was physically hidden. We felt physically hidden. The church wasn't in the safest part of town either. This beautiful little church that we love. I, I text uh, Pastor Tom today, and I told him how much I loved him and thanked him for how kind he's been to us over the years. I just, I just honor that man. Pastor Tom Schleter of Prince of Peace Church is the man. And while he gave us the most incredible deal, the church that we were in, it wasn't our space. And the church that we were serving, doing this prayer room in, it didn't have our DNA. It was a very different DNA, very different feel. And so that just creates, you know, nuances. We thought we were going to be there for just a few months. It wound up being almost three years. It was like two, uh, 2.75 years kind of a thing. It was a long time. Overnight, we lost half the people that used to come around. And overnight, we lost two-thirds of the money. When we made the, the, the shift, we lost so much. It was, it was unbelievable. 
Because people just, it felt like such a step backwards. And so people just couldn't track with that. Like, you guys looked like you were going somewhere a minute ago, but it looks like you're definitely going somewhere now. Um, So people came off missionary staff. Others dropped to part-time. Individuals were struggling with the promises of God. We were getting all these promises, and they weren't happening in a way that we could track with. We experienced uh, more warfare. Nearly every one of our programs we had to put on permanent hold. The first week we moved into that uh, church, to give you kind of a picture of like welcome to the neighborhood and to tell you a little bit about what the neighborhood was like, the first week we moved in, it might have been the first day, a cop shot a kid's dog in front of the kid across the street from the church. So it's like, welcome to the neighborhood. You know, dead. And so it's like, that, and so now the kid's in the front yard crying, and the cop's like, well, the dog was going to kill everybody. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, this was very different than what we were experiencing over in the other place. Uh, we had uh, even a false Christ come to check on his church. A false Christ came uh, to our prayer room to check on the churches in the area, and we were one of the ministries he was coming to check on. That was a really encouraging sign. We had a video crew come to try, and they were going to uh, put us on TV. And they were going to do a newscast for us. And they came in to do a newscast, and, and they walked in and saw what we were doing. And the lady who was in charge, she didn't even shake my hand. As soon as she walked in, I got up to go meet her. She didn't even shake my hand. She immediately went, oh, no, no, this won't work, and ran out of the building, ran out into the, uh, the grass into the parking lot to tell the crew that was unloading the cameras and the lights and all the stuff, Put it back in the truck. I mean, she was telling them, don't come. This is so bad. We can't videotape this. This is the worst. And I'm like, hi, my name's Brad. Hi, hi, my I was so embarrassing and just small and weak and, and painful. We had a power outage in that period of time. Luke Fredenberg was there. He was on his externship. It was a three-day power outage in this church. And we kept the prayer meeting going for three days in the dark with candles and flashlights, with no sound system, all acoustic, no loop pedal, no nothing. Three days in the dark. That just kind of tells you a little bit about the, the buy-in of this little ragtag group that was still doing it. Um, okay, I got to move on. There were good times. You know, even in the midst of that, we went from 14 hours a day to 18 hours a day. I don't know how. I still look back on that, and I'm like, how do you add hours in the midst of all that pruning and difficulty? I don't know, but we did. Bunch of TPR couples got married. Bunch of them made babies. We got people around here that were products of that season of time, you know, that were part of this community. Uh, we had people joining missionary staff, as odd as that is. Uh, we had two of the largest events, the two largest events we've ever hosted at our space. So that 2100 thing was at another space. We had the two largest events we've ever hosted. We hosted in that season while we were in pruning and just, it was so bizarre. Well, then the Lord made it clear we were supposed to move to the Nora building, this current location. And when he did, I was elated because I felt certain in my spirit, 10 of these huge pinches that hurt me so good every day are going to go away instantly. And I was right. They all went away instantly. We had new difficulties and new this and that. But those 10 pinches that was my daily reality, was our community daily reality, our leadership team daily reality, those 10 pinches went away in one second when we moved into this building. And it just felt like... The biggest burden lifted, the greatest, you know, because we had our own space. And, and it's difficult to be you as a ministry when you're renting a space from somebody else. And especially when it's not a lease space that you can, like, tear down walls and do stuff. You, you're really confined. As soon as we moved into this space, the Lord started doing stuff. And he gave me a word. This was a season of fortifying and building the family, fortifying family. 
And so the Lord gave us this building, and we knew it was our season to fortify what he gave us. And he gave us this community, and we knew it was a season to really strengthen what the Lord had given us and to really strengthen the family uh, here, a family of priests that we were building this night and day altar together. It was during this season and before that, we were getting so many words about what the Lord was going to do related to strengthening us as a community. And so it, it was a value we had deep in us, but it was a value that the Lord was highlighting all the louder. It is a season to do community even better even more, even more. Now you've got your own space. You can have your own DNA in a way that's more, you know, public. It's time. Well, there was some stuff when we moved in that definitely did not work. Remember I told you sometimes the season would go over into the next building? Well, that season was still haunting us as we moved into this building, and there was some really painful things. Our 10-year anniversary was a joke. It was a joke. It was the most painful thing. The Lord told me ahead of time, I just, it's just such a painful word. The Lord told me ahead of time, you guys aren't out of this yet. You should do the 10-year celebration. You should do that for your people. But I want you to suffer this disappointment. And I just, I felt the Lord tell me it's so clear. And I knew, even though we're in a new building, we got new people around us, we got new, new, new. It's like every reason, this 10-year, it's a 10-year celebration, daily prayer meetings, 10 year, every reason in the natural, this thing should be big. I knew the Lord was telling me, I'm going to make it bad. It's important that, you, that you're still humbled by this, that you're still walking. We're not done quite yet. It's not quite yet the moment. It was horrible. It, we did two services. There was like eight in one service and like nine in the other. It was horrible. It was, the, it was one of the worst events we've ever done. And it was so painful to do the show twice. Oh, my gosh. That was miserable. Another interesting dynamic about this building and the way that things have happened here, we saw 100% turnover of our leadership team over about a three-year period of time. So what that means is, and we've got an incredible leadership team right now, but what that means is in that period of time, every time you lose somebody that knows what's going on, you got to figure out how to replace them. And the Lord wasn't like readily letting us replace everybody immediately. Things were tough. It was a tough run. We did this sound the alarm conference. It was so miserable. Oh my goodness. I love Pam and Sue. They were the only two people that came to the conference. And they just sat in this in every session and just, I mean, we couldn't even get our staff to come to that. It was so bad. The giving campaign that we tried that didn't work, we fell on our face so bad. We tried to raise money. It just failed. The fire on the altar was at a weak little flicker on a number of occasions. But let me tell you some things that started working. Daniel Academy started to really root and take off. It started to grow. Our children's academy, our homeschool co-op that my wife runs here. Our connection with IHOP Kansas City only strengthened like double or triple. We had 40 plus people sign up for our growing in the prophetic school that we launched when when we moved into this building. 40 people did the school. Now we had the school structured a little different, but it was awesome. We held a Resisting the Spirit of the Age conference. It was awesome. Sound the Alarm conference, horrible. Resisting the Spirit of the Age, epic. I mean, it was kind of like, Lord, which is it? Because we did both of those in a short period of time. It's like, shouldn't both of these have been the same? Or one? I just, it was so crazy. The first summer that we were here, we had four externs for the first time. We rebooted our internships and our schools. We started getting schools going back up again. The exterior of the building got painted for free. I just looked at that so much as like fortifying the base. This pretty lady got a paint job outside. Uh, We were the 24-7 prayer hub for Revive Texas. That was just so crazy. All these people coming in and out. 
We added our first night watch sets back in September. And so now we're 20 hours a day instead of 18 hours a day. And we just, there have been some sweet things. Well, let me tell you what I believe is coming. And we'll end here in just about two minutes. What I believe is coming. We're in an interesting season right now. And I, I kind of think it's a sixth season. Part of the reason I say that, we have never been at a location ever for three years in a day. Ever. The most we'd ever been at a building was three years. We had that happen twice, and we had two other locations that were about two and a half to three years as well. But we'd never been at a building for three years in a day. We're over four years right now in this building. I kind of think the season shifted somewhere in the course of time over these last some months. You know, last year, I don't, I don't know. We're, I feel like things are a little bit different. And part of the reason that it's interesting, one, we're in the same space which allows you to add strength to strength because you're not having to restart and buy new things again, figure out a new scheme and do a remodel project. All of that takes time and energy. We've been settled in. We're at this location the longest we've ever been at a location. The Lord gave me another word for this season just a couple of months ago. Develop your staff. That was the word that the Lord gave me. He'll give me these little phrases, these three-word phrases. Brick by brick, you know, fortifying family, develop your staff. He gives me this word, develop your staff. And we were trying to process what that meant. Our leadership team went out of town. We're processing. What does develop your staff mean? And, and we've got some ideas of what we think it means. We come back from the, the leadership retreat, and COVID-19 breaks out and changes everything. And in the middle of COVID-19, our staff has grown so much in the last month. We added four full-time missionaries and five part-time staff that we're calling provisional staff for this season of time. We've never grown nine staff, paid staff. We've never grown nine paid staff in a month ever. And that just happened. I think it's a season of staff growth and staff development, of learning our, our trade, of, of strengthening things. We're working on making full teams again and raising that up as a, as a standard. I think this season is not going to be exponential growth. I don't think we're going to go from, you know, right now, whatever the number is on Sacred Trust. I don't think we're going to grow to 200 or something right now. But I think we might grow to 120, but the right 120. The right 120 with buy-in, building, staff, strengthening. And of course, we want everybody to be involved, but I just think it's a season. And here's the thing. We had always wanted to develop our staff, grow it numerically, and train them and get people with buying. We'd always wanted that. So it's not like we just started wanting that. We've always wanted that. We never heard it from the Lord before. Now, why would the Lord, to a ministry that cares greatly about staff growth and staff development, why would the Lord speak the word, develop your staff, and then right in the middle of a global pandemic, have us flourishing like crazy and more staff coming? I'll tell you why. When the Lord says develop your staff, it's because you're a minute away from needing a developed staff. So what I think right now is we're in preparation mode. I think that the growth season is around the corner. Is that a year, two, five Oh, we'll see when we get there. It's the season now to get ready for it. To shore up and to strengthen, to get our staff all tracking, that we're all in, you know, in deep relationship with Jesus, in deep relationship with each other, in deep relationship with the mandate. Part of the reason we're doing this prophetic history series is to remind all of us of our calling, who we are as a people, what God wants to do with us, because I believe that we've got many good things in our near future, many good things. And that they are going to help strengthen this place and make our staff just all-star. And, uh, and I want to encourage those of you that are on our staff, let's go deeper. 
those that aren't, consider joining staff, but those that aren't, come and experience the fruit and the benefits of a missions base that's developing the staff with greater intentionality and help from Jesus and experience the fruit and the blessings of what we've got here. Amen? This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.